Hello, readers. Vern Lundquist is a Hall of Fame broadcaster whose calls in some of sports' biggest moments are as memorable as the plays themselves. He's also an author of a book about his life and career, play-by-play, calling the wildest games in sports, from SEC football to college basketball to Masters and more. It's good to have you back in a city that you grew up in, and uh, thank you very much for the time today, sir. Well, the thing, guys, is that it hasn't changed at all. No, oh, no. My gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a totally different... Uh, when I moved here, I was 12 years old, and uh, and uh, the population was 130,000 people. Hello. Uh, they've been swallowed. I think 130,000 people move here every year now. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> uh, I mean, what's going on here is extraordinary. And uh, my wife and I, Nancy, we've lived uh, in, in uh, Dallas for a long time and then Steamboat Springs, Colorado. But having all but retired from CBS, uh, I'm now doing the heavy lifting on the Masters and the PGA Championship. Uh, we look for I, – I, we don't ski anymore. We don't play golf and, uh, anymore. And we thought, well, let's go back home. And she, she attended the University of Texas. I, of course, grew up here and uh, started in this business. Uh, not far from where I'm speaking to you guys. I'm, we're at 360 Nueces, so right in the heart of downtown. And I got my start <clears throat> over 10th and Brazos at uh, KTBC uh, just a, a, a smidge over 55 years ago. Wow. So what are you guys doing now? Vern, you said you're not playing golf and you're not skiing anymore. What, uh, what do you guys do in your spare time? Well, we travel a lot because we... We decided when we got married in 82, and both of us, Nancy and I, had been uh, married before, uh, we decided uh, to bypass children. And so now in our our dotage, as it were, uh, we don't have the responsibility of children or grandchildren, and uh, we can be a little self-indulgent. And so, as a matter of fact, before the book tour began, and uh, let me quickly add, we're doing a signing at Book People tonight at 7. Uh, we were on a trip uh, uh, with two other couples from Steamboat who are dear friends of ours. We uh, did a Rhine River cruise from Basel, Switzerland to Amsterdam. And here we are in the middle of football season. I was on a riverboat. So those are the kinds of things that not being involved in, in college football or basketball have allowed us to do. And uh, we both, Nancy was a voice major at UT. And uh, I, of course, uh, well, I, I, I lived here and worked here until, well, I was I, at Austin for three years. But we are both heavily invested in music. I'm on the board of our the summer music festival and in steamboat and that's a that's a thing that we really really relish uh, but uh, read a lot listen to music a lot travel a lot uh dine out more than we should uh it's it's been i had a back a really serious back surgery uh in november of last year and it took place at the stedman clinic in Vail, colorado and that has limited, to uh, to some degree, my ability to get around. Now, I'm fine now, uh, at long last. But uh, 
that was if if you have to have one, do it. If you don't, don't go close to it. <laughs> Sound advice there. Now, Vern, I, I loved all the different stories that you told in this book. And uh, since you brought up your wife, Nancy, y'all have been married for nearly 40 years now. I have to admit the story about how you got her is pretty damn pimp, Vern. Would you please share that one with our uh, audience? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> uh, I was, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you the quick summation. It's a longer version in the book. Uh, as I said, Nancy and I had been uh, divorced. She for about six years. And I was uh, almost suddenly single. This was in 1980. And uh, I was working at Channel 8 in Dallas and traveling some internationally for ABC. I I had done a live amateur boxing match in uh, a little town up near the Baltic in Schwerin, East Germany. Uh, came back, back home and was living in Colleyville before it became all capital letters. It was just this little village. And uh, after work, I decided I didn't want to drive home to uh, an empty house. So I stopped by uh, a bar restaurant called Arthur's, uh, which is moved locations, but it was on North Central. And uh, I uh, uh, walked in, and this is something that Nancy didn't understand, but it's part of uh, being on local television, no matter where in the country. There is a familiarity because you are in people's homes, and often there's an assumption that uh, they recognize you or know you, and you should respond. And uh, so I walked in, and as it turns out, Nancy and her date uh, had been to see Ella Fitzgerald that night, and uh, her date, a guy named Raymond Willie, invited me over for uh, a drink. And uh, I joined them, and there was another fellow named Paul Bass who's passed away, and now both, both of them have. And uh, so we talked, and, and Raymond said, I, don't, uh, I know you're single. I don't want you inhabiting singles bars. And I thought, well, that's interesting that he cares that much. And he said, uh, I've got a woman I want you to meet. We'll double date. And he looked down at Nancy, who was sitting, and he, he and I were standing. And he said, uh, what are you doing Thursday night? This was on a Tuesday. And she said, whatever uh, whatever you want, I, no plans. And he said, good, then you and I will double date with Vern and the school, school teacher. And I kept looking at her, and she said she had the prettiest smile I've ever seen and still does. And uh, finally, he had to use the facilities, and I, <laughs> I had probably three and a half minutes to take my chance. And uh, I asked her to get on the dance floor, and that, for me, was a bold move. Uh, not capable <laughs> of a swing and rhythm on a dance floor. But uh, we went out, and I asked her how involved she was with this fellow that she had. She said, oh, this is a blind date, our first one. And I said, well, then forget about what he's talking about on Thursday night. Uh, what are you doing Saturday night? And with that smile, she looked up and she said, I think I'm doing whatever you're doing. And uh, that was in March of 1980. And here we are uh, talking about that incident uh, almost 40 years later.
You write in the intro, Vern, that the goal for you normally as a broadcaster has always been to tell the story and not be the story. But obviously, you can't do that if you're writing a book about your own life. Because of that, was it at all difficult to tell your story? Uh, it, uh, it's challenging. Challenging. And I had an editor in New York named Matt Harper. Uh, who is with the publishing house. And because of his back surgery I mentioned, uh, the process was slowed down just because of inertia. I, I couldn't, uh, I, could, I was upright, I was out of bed, but I just had no energy and I couldn't sit down for long periods. So collaboratively, we decided to hire uh, a fellow who's written 20 books, a man named Gary Brozak. And the process is that was that Gary and I would chat four times a week. It was recorded, uh, and we would limit our conversations to an hour and a half. And uh, he would ask questions, and it would ignite memories for me. And then he would get the transcription, write the chapters, send them to me. I would fact-check them and uh, approve them back to him off to New York. And that was the process by which we put all this together. And Matt Harper uh, in New York uh, was helpful in uh, deciding which stories to include, which ones to edit, which ones to omit. Uh, and and uh, it was a very, very involved process. Uh, I just happened to be sitting in our, our little condo uh, looking west, and I've got a copy of the book in front of me. And... Uh, uh, it will be obviously available tonight to book people, but uh, it's quite, for me, the process was, uh, there's a feeling of accomplishment. Uh, and and there also is a, a feeling expressed by HarperCollins that maybe if this is successful, there's enough material to, <laughs> I think your pardon, I've got a little touch of bronchitis, Uh that's all right. There might be enough left to, to do another one. So uh, I've, I've oh. kept some stuff back. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. Vern, I want to ask before we get too much into your broadcasting career itself, you mentioned that you came to Austin when you were 11 years old. You grew up here. You went to Austin High here in this city. Do you have a favorite or fondest childhood memory living in Austin, Texas? Uh, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Uh, one of my first memories of moving here, uh, I saw my first college football game at what was then Memorial Stadium. It's now Darrell Royal Memorial Stadium. Uh, we lived uh, now, uh, northwest at the intersection of Airport Boulevard and I-35 in a neighborhood called Delwood. And uh, my dad was minister of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, which was then at 16th and North Congress, and they later moved out uh uh, to Anderson Lane, uh, and then mother and dad are both gone now. But we moved here, and, and my first college football experience ever live was uh, Notre Dame playing Texas September of 52. And I worked in the north end zone with a big pail that uh, had was filled with bottles, no cans in those days, bottles of Coca-Cola. And I would sell them for a nickel per, per soda. And uh, I, uh, my memory is, and it's fading on, uh, uh, on this, I got to keep a penny. 
and then I was out of Cokes in the third quarter, so I snuck over to what I deemed to be the 50-yard line and, and came in, and there were folks who had left. And I sat on the 50-yard line uh, and watched Notre Dame beat Texas 14-3. to And that uh, it's so vivid. And then from then on, I, you know, I would ride my bike home uh, from junior high school or, or out delivering newspapers, the Austin American Statesman. Uh, and I would ride the bike north on Red River, and I, I could hear the cheers from Texas uh, inside uh, when they were playing at home. And then in high school at Austin High, I was really lucky. I was befriended by uh, uh, Jones Ramsey and a, a writer named Orland Sims. And they, as a high schooler, uh, I, I had an interest in journalism, and I was allowed to uh, help out. I was a, an aide in the press box. So I, my, my love of this city and this university is, and KTVC as well, it's pretty profound. Very cool. And uh, you actually ended up going to school at Texas Lutheran down in Seguin. It was at that time that I think you started getting your first paid radio gigs at KWED. At first, you were reading off station IDs. You were eventually given a DJ shift on Sunday afternoons for KWED for a show called Playhouse of Hits. What happened the very first time you you spoke into (laughs) the microphone on that program? I can give you the real censored version. The very first time I opened a microphone at a radio station for pay was at KWED. And as you said, uh, the show was called Playhouse of Hit. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 it was a September 1961. I graduated in 62. And uh, I, I can remember the theme music I picked out. It was a conductor named Percy Faith, old-timers will remember him. And the music that he and his orchestra were playing was a song really up-tempo called Brazilian Sleigh Bells. And I've been there all morning putting uh, church services on and off the air. And now is my big moment. I get to be paid to be a distractor. And uh, I've got to be careful with this after all these years. Uh, I said, hello, everybody. I'm Bern Lundquist. Welcome to the Playhouse of... And I added a consonant, uh, that uh, the letter S, before I pronounced the name of the show. And I just trembled. I mean, I closed the mic. I don't think I said another word for 20 minutes. And uh, the, the radio station owner, boss, was a man named Stan McKenzie. He just he died about two years ago, a very uh, elderly man. Uh, I called him to explain what had happened. He said, don't worry, I heard it. And he said, you're going to be fine if we've all made mistakes like that. And then I went back to my dormitory. And, of course, being uh, a little full of myself, I had asked all my classmates and, and, and who shared the dorm to tune in. They had all heard it. And so I had really... A very inauspicious start, but somehow I kick-started it back and got it together. Vern, you mentioned cherishing your time as the sports director for KTBC in Austin. You actually got to speak with some legendary UT coaches as part of that job. Do you have a memory from speaking with Bib Falk, first off? Oh, my gosh. You have read the book, haven't you? Oh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, 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 that's pretty obvious because no one has mentioned that anecdote. <laughs> yeah, Bip Falk, you know, it's Falk Field, Bip Falk Field, uh, and, and uh, it was then. And they had the cliffs in the outfield. And I was uh, sent out black and white film with optical sound. Now, you've got to be really ancient to remember that. But we had no videotape back then, no color television. And I went out to interview uh, Bib, uh, and and we started the sound. Actually, I was my one-man band. So I'd set the camera up on the tripod, focus on him, pull the trigger to start the film rolling through, then run around, uh, pick up the mic, and start the interview. And I asked him about the prospects for that year's uh, Longhorn baseball team. And he was a sarcastic old man, even then. And I can't complete this thought that you can... uh, uh, the same word that I used in on KWD, I said, what, what do you think about How do you assess your team? Something generic like that. And he almost grumbled. He said, well, I'll tell you this about my team. You can't make chicken salad out of chicken. <laughs> and uh, so that did not get on the air. But... Uh. Uh, but I certainly remember the exchange. That's great. What about uh, the first time you spoke with Daryl Royal, Vern? Uh, I remember it vividly. And, and Coach, I've had two idols in my life. Uh, and, and one was Daryl Royal. Uh, the other was Doak Walker, the legendary Heisman Trophy winner, uh, with whom I shared the title of a golf tournament in Steamboat. But Coach Royal and I became inseparable friends. And uh, the first time I ever met him was Channel 7, and they used to run a, a, a live program of highlights. And Cactus Pryor, everybody in Austin remembers, Cactus was the guy that, that hired me, uh, give, gave me the job as a sports, uh, sportscaster here. Uh, Daryl would come down to the studio. Uh, this would have been '63, uh, the '63 season, which in which they. They won the national title. So the first time I ever met him was in Channel 7 Studios. And we had a friendship that went through to the day he died. I actually got to work with him one year after he had retired. Uh, We were at ABC, and it was a one-year deal. And uh, if you don't mind, one of the great, great, great memories Nancy and I have of of Daryl and Edith was on a Saturday in... Uh, would have been September, I guess, of, of 81, I believe. And Daryl and I did a game at me in Manhattan, Kansas. <clears throat> Drove to Kansas City, flew back to Dallas. He was changing planes to come to Austin. And we were going to our home in Colleyville. And uh, the Cowboys were playing a, a, sun, a Monday night game against Chicago. And Coach asked me, what, what are your plans for tomorrow? And I said, just watch the games on television. He said, well, why don't you hop on a plane in the morning, come down to Austin. Edith and I will meet you. You'll stay at our home, and we'll go out to Willie's place and play golf. And so we did that. And Daryl and and Edith picked us up at like 10, I think. And we went to their home, unpacked, uh, went out to Willie's place and played on on Willie's nine hole golf tournament. Wow! Uh, Edith and Nancy drove in a separate cart, and Coach and I 
just exchanged stories back and forth all day. <laughs> and uh, uh, now, hmm. Uh, yeah, you clearly do have enough stories to write another book, Vern, because I can promise people that one's not in play-by-play, but that is a hell of a story. Nonetheless, we're going to fast forward a little bit now because uh, we don't have all day with you, although we could uh, talk to you for hours about some of the great stories in this book. Eventually, you move to Dallas. You become a part of the Cowboys radio broadcast team, despite the fact that you were working for WFAA-TV at the time. You were a part of the Ice Bowl broadcast, which is crazy. You tell a great story about that, including your conversation with Vince Lombardi. Also, your interactions with Tom Landry. I'm curious to hear your story about Tech Schramm's passion for the Cowboys, former uh, Dallas Cowboys exec Tech Schramm. It had to do with NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle, where Tex actually commandeered the PA system at the old Texas Stadium. What exactly happened there? Well, you're asking me about all these anecdotes that are suitable for printing, but not talking. Uh so I got to clear this one up too, uh, but it, it was true, and I, I was not present. Uh, the, the the boxes at Texas Stadium were separated up on, on either side. On the west side were the broadcast television, radio, and visiting radio, and on the east side were the uh, it was the writers' press box. And Tess had a suite, I think, at the north end adjacent to the writer's press box. And there was a big glass partition uh, through which you could see whomever was in there. Uh, but it kept noise from there uh, and away from the actual press box. And what he did is commandeer not the, the, the PA system for the stadium, but heard only in the writer's press box. And, and Tex, God love him, he was like, he was like a godfather to me. And uh, he was rather profane in his emotions that he expressed during a game, especially if it wasn't going well uh, for the home team. And he and Pete Roselle were very, very, very close friends. And uh, Pete was visiting and sitting with Marty Schramm, Texas' wife, and two of their daughters watching the game. And, and Tex was yelling and booming his voice out. And Doug Todd was the associate, uh, uh, I mean, the uh, uh, the sports information guy, vice president of communication for the Cowboys. And he's the one who told me the story. Tex was so angry, he got up and, and stormed down to the glass partition between his box and, and, the, his, uh, and the press box. And he banged on the window, and, and Pete Roselle turned and looked at him, and Tex was yelling at him, uh, and Pete could barely hear him, but could read his lips. And Tex uh, made the choke sign and gave Pete Rozelle the middle digit, uh, <laughs> and then angrily stormed back and sat down and, and just kept huffing and puffing. And when they got to halftime in Dallas was trailing, and Doug, rather laconically, because everybody in there knew Tex and knew him really well, Doug got on the internal PA, and uh, this one i got to be extraordinarily careful with. <laughs> he said, ladies and gentlemen, according to Tex Schramm, general manager of the Cowboys, at the half, the uh, collection of people who uh, the, the, the name begins with a C uh, and ends in E-R-S, 
those folks lead the people uh, who are identified with a, a word that the letter begins with M and ends coincidentally with ER. <laughs> Fill in the blanks. Oh. Boy, I handled that. I handled that better than I thought I would. Oh, that is awesome. All right, Vern, you're known for calling so many games, so many memorable moments in sports, Masters, the Olympics, football, basketball, but you're also known for something else by some people, and this is one of my favorite stories. I've heard you tell this in person, and you talk about this in the book, so I have to ask, what in the heck is bowling for dollars? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're making me uh, remember all these things. Well, let me soften that a little bit. Uh, it was a game show that had a sports theme. It was a franchise show. Uh, a, a company called Plaster Productions out of Baltimore. And for those who are really, really old, uh, they franchise. It was hosted by a different host in every city: uh, New York, Boston, Boston, Baltimore, Chicago, Indianapolis, uh, and out in California. Uh, on La- in Los Angeles by a legendary uh, basketball uh, Hall of Famer named Chick Hearn, radio guy. And uh, they asked me to do it. And essentially boiled down, it was a 30-minute game show featuring six contestants. <clears throat> and, and we would tape uh, six shows every Monday. So that every, every fifth week, we could take the week off. Uh, and we, we cranked them out at the Forum Lanes in Grand Prairie. And the format was such that the contestant would walk out, I would introduce them, and they had a cheat sheet that had been pre-interviewed. So there was a sheet above the door with name, name uh, vocation, interest, that sort of thing. And then I would uh, ask them to identify people in the audience that they brought with them. They were allowed to look into a camera and say hello, uh, to anybody at home, they picked a card out of a basket, and that pin pal would share uh, whatever uh, amount was won with the with the bowler. And then they go over and they bowl two balls. Uh, if they didn't get two strikes, they got the number a dollar for every pin knocked down. Uh, and then if they rolled two strikes, they won the jackpot, which accumulated. Uh, every show, if nobody wanted, by ten bucks, and uh, that thing ran for two years, uh, and during which time I did my first national television uh, broadcast with Frank Royals. We did uh, Longhorns at Texas A&M, and uh, the the punchline to the whole setup is it achieved popularity that was just unbelievable, and. Uh, my best friend Joe Cash and I were driving from Texas A&M back to Dallas uh, for a, a delayed Thanksgiving dinner, and we pulled into a gas station in Fairfield, Texas. Uh, and these were the days when they would still come out and clean your windshield and check your tires and all that sort of thing. And Joe went in to use the, the facilities, and I was pretty full of myself. And I was still wearing that old mustard yellow, ugly ABC jacket. And the guy at the windshield kept cleaning it and looking inside. And I could tell that he uh, recognized uh, me from something. And I thought, well, I'll make sure he knows with whom I work. 
So I shifted myself and kind of patted the ABC Sports patch, and he kept rubbing and looking. And finally, he looked back over his shoulder inside the gas station, and he yelled, Hey, Rudy, Rudy, get out here. It's that Bowling for Dollars guy on the TV. Uh, that's awesome. Love that. And uh, you not only tell that story in this book, Play by Play, but also you talk about, I mean, it's incredible to think about all the different moments, the famous sports moments that you've been a part of, the ice bowl, um, the the catch, Jack in 86, the Leitner shot, Final Fours, the NFL, SEC on CBS, the Fog Bowl, the Iron Bowl, Kick Six. And you tell great stories about really all of those things in this book. I'm curious, though, Vern, is there a call that you wish you had a redo on yes i do that's a that's an interesting way to approach this uh and and it's one that i just i whiffed i whiffed on it uh, i was working with my dear dear friend uh, bill raftery and we were doing uh the regional finals a game between villanova and and pittsburgh and villanova was led by jay wright still is pittsburgh um, um, Jamie, um, I'm having a senior moment, head coach of TCU. Jamie uh, Wright. Anyway, it, it was just a thrilling game. Jamie Dixon. And Billy and I were really involved in it. And it came down to uh, it was a tie game with two, four second, five second left, let's say. And Villanova inbounded, and they put it in the hands of a really gifted basketball player named Scotty Reynolds. And he went coast to coast and laid it up just before the buzzer, and it went through, and Villanova went to the Final Four. And I was not present. I mean, I don't know to this day what happened, but you'll notice there's no mention of Villanova-Pittsburgh ending in the book or in any of the speeches I make. Hmm. Uh, uh, Bill looked at me and where what happened to you? I mentioned Scotty Reynolds' name, and then I kind of laid out. I mean, we all should be brief and let the audience uh, interact and respond. But I'm not. I'm I'm not not even not proud of it. I'm embarrassed by it. Wow. Uh, That's one I would ask for uh, a major do-over. But fortunately. Uh, it, it's not remembered by too many people. Vern Lundquist, Hall of Fame broadcaster and author of the new book about his life and career, play-by-play, calling the wildest games in sports from SEC football to college basketball to Masters and more. You can meet him, get him to sign a book at Book People. That's at 6 in Lamar tonight at 7 o'clock. Vern, welcome back home. Thank you so much for the time today, sir, and uh, please have a, a great one in the future. Thank you, sir. Well, it was a real pleasure, fellas. Great to, great to be with you. Bye-bye.